Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all this morning. Welcome to the guests who've joined us here this morning. Glad that you are here to worship with us. Let's pray now as we turn our attention to God's Word and ask for His help. Lord God, we thank you and we praise you for the opportunity to come and worship you, to hear from you in your word. And Lord, we ask and pray that your spirit would be at work through the truth of your word in our hearts and in our minds. We confess our own weakness, my own weakness. No good will come in these moments apart from the work of your spirit. And so we ask and we pray for that this morning. We pray that you would give us a new heart to hear you. We ask and we pray your blessing on this time now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, we live in the information age, and it's overwhelming, isn't it? There is so much information coming at us, we cannot possibly take it all in, let alone consider it and process it all critically. In many ways, Google has become our guru the main source for advice, guidance, and direction. They process 99,000 searches every second. 8.5 billion searches a day. That is an insane volume. People are looking for knowledge so that they can make sense of their world and gain some measure of control over their lives. I came across a website this week that specializes in wisdom. I'm not going to give you its name, but the website says this. It's an online intergenerational program pairing advice seekers with a network of older adults, elders, who provide empathetic, caring, and supportive advice based on their own life experiences. They advertise it this way, quote, Get connected to a caring grandparent figure who has timeless wisdom to offer, end quote. Timeless wisdom. That's interesting, isn't it? It's so interesting. Timeless applies that it, or implies that it applies at all times, that it's objective truth. People are looking for truth. If you want the truth, let me suggest that you look in the Bible, and if you want wisdom from elders... Go to an intergenerational church like ours, find a godly older man or older woman, sit down and talk with them. Now, this organization has been featured on, get this, ABC, BBC, CBS, Fox, NPR, The Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine, The LA Times, Ladies Home Journal, Real Simple, Glamour, and USA Today. Do you think that people are hungry for guidance and direction and wisdom? Yeah, you bet they are. There's a famine in the land. It is not a famine of bread or water, but of hearing the words of the Lord, Amos 8:11. When you're not anchored in the scriptures, you are susceptible to any voice, any advice may begin to to sound good to you. I had a coworker at the pharmacy years back who was really struggling, and uh, his deodorant spoke to him. The label said, don't sweat it, handle it. And he took that as a word of counsel 
for himself. When you're not anchored in the scriptures, any voice, any advice begins to sound good. And the question is, who will you listen to? Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 18, beginning in verse 9. That's where our text is today. The message for us today is simple. Listen to the right voice. Listen to the right voice. Ultimately, listen to God who speaks through Christ and his word. To him you shall listen. Now, just to catch you up again, Moses has been addressing uh, the leaders. He's covered judges, kings, priests, and Levites, and now he turns his attention to the prophets. And at the same time, all occult ways of discovering the will of the gods and compelling them to act on their behalf are forbidden. They must listen to the right voice. We're going to see four truths in our text today related to listening to our Lord. First, follow God, not the nations. Be holy and set apart. We see this in verse 9. Moses writes, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. As God's people, we live in a different kingdom. We follow our king's commands, King Jesus. Christians must not follow the abominable practices, that is the ungodly ways of the nations among whom they live. God's people, Christians, are scattered all over the world among all these different nations, and God says, don't learn those ungodly ways of the nations around you, where you live. How easy it is to follow the crowd and go with the flow. Think about leaving a theater after a show. Think about leaving a stadium after a game. The packed crowds are filing out of the building. It's this herd of of people mindlessly following the person in front of them. Have you ever tried to go against a crowd like that? Go the opposite direction? That's hard. You have to carefully pick your your path. You'll be jostled by the people around you, and they're going to give you looks like, hey, what's the matter with you, buddy? We're all going this way. It's easy to follow the crowd, to move in the direction that everyone else is moving. It's hard to walk in the opposite direction. And the Lord knows that we are prone to simply follow the crowd, and so he tells us, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of the nations around you. Do not do as they do. Do as I say. Listen to my voice. Walk my way. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, you will be jostled. People will look at you in surprise and anger. As Peter says, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. 1 Peter 4, 4. I love this picture. It's better to walk alone than with a crowd going in the wrong direction. The crowd is always surprised and offended when we don't follow them. They're not happy when we do not conform but follow Christ, no matter how nice you are. Because it sheds light on their abominable practices. So do not do as the nations do. Be holy and set apart. God's people are to live differently. Follow God, not the nations. Follow God, not the crowd. Even if no one else does. If all your peers are doing something sinful, do not follow them, follow God. Listen to God, not them. But notice there's another group of people here. When Moses says you, he's talking to God's people as a whole. They're in this together. 
So find godly friends to help point you in the right direction, to encourage you in following God. That's what the church is for. God's people are to exhort one another daily to trust and obey so we remain faithful and are not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, Hebrews 3.13. Now, there are many abominable practices in our nation to avoid, but our text focuses in on the occult, and that leads us to point two. All forms of occult practices are forbidden. Be blameless in this before God. We see this in verses 10 through 14. Look there with me. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens, or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. Avoid all of these occult practices. They're all forbidden. Be blameless in this before God. Now, the occult involves any dealings with the spiritual world that are, that's not based on Christ and his word. It attempts to use or manipulate the spiritual world to gain knowledge or influence people or events. Now, that definition assumes that there is a spiritual world that is distinct from the natural world. So the Bible is against a strictly materialistic worldview. It's also, as a definition, intentionally broad. It covers Satanism, witchcraft, any form of communicating with the dead, necromancy, psychics, Ouija boards, fortune-telling, palm readings, tarot cards, horoscopes, astrology, and any real magic, not the sleight-of-hand kind, but, but casting spells and sorcery and so on. Moses lists nine things here. He says child sacrifice, divination, fortune-telling, omens, a sorcerer, charmer, medium, spiritism, and necromancy. This is the most comprehensive list of occult practices in the Bible. And there's a, a considerable amount of overlap between these different things. The point isn't to ferret out all the differences. The point is to realize that nothing like this should be done by God's people. What do they all have in common? They're all attempts to influence people or events by tapping into the spirit world. They're a means to obtain guidance, to control others, to harm, or to ward off harm, or to get knowledge of the future. They, they seek knowledge and power over people and events by supernatural means. So, for example, Balak, the king of Moab, hired Balaam paying the fees for divination, Numbers 22.7, not just so that he could get information about what Israel was going to do, but in order that he would curse them so that he might defeat them, Numbers 23.6. But Balaam, under God's restraining hand, said, there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel, Numbers 23.23. God would not let him curse his people. Now, all of these forms of divination, again, they're a way to attempt to gain knowledge and power to influence people or events by manipulating the spirit world. 
Even child sacrifice in this context is used for this purpose of controlling the course of events. This is what Mesha, king of Moab, did in 2 Kings 3, 26 and 27. Listen to this. When he saw the battle was going against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through. But they could not. Then he took his oldest son, who was to reign in his place, and offered him for a burnt offering on the wall. And there came great wrath against Israel, and they withdrew from him and returned to their own land. He sacrificed his son in order to win the battle, and it seemed to work. This is a reminder, all of this is a reminder that there are spiritual forces of darkness at work in this world. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Praise God that we need not fear Satan or his demons because he who is in you, the Spirit of God, is greater than the one who is in the world. 1 John 4, 4. God is infinitely greater. There's no comparison. But, but... That does not mean that we can be careless or that demons are powerless to influence people and events in the world. If this never worked, they would have stopped doing it a long time ago. The deciding factor, though, is God. God has Satan like a dog on a leash. He can go no further than God allows. Now, what does God say about these practices? First of all, these things are an abomination to God, verses 9, verse 12, meaning they're detestable, they are repulsive, they're deserving of strong hatred. God hates these things. Second, not just the sin, but whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord, so avoid them. Third, God destroys those who do these things. Verse 12, this is why God is driving out the nations, so avoid them. The Lord judges people and nations for such gross sin. The truth is that we are under God's judgment right now. Our version of child sacrifice to control our destiny has a different name. It's called abortion, whether surgical or chemical so that we can finish school or focus on our career or avoid the burden of having to raise children. We'll have a full sermon on that subject in a couple of weeks. But I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice that God sees all of these things as an abomination. All of them. This changes our perspective on stuff like psychics and tarot cards and horoscopes and all that garbage. Those are not innocent they're abominable things, sins. Fourth, verse 10 implies that those who make a practice of these things will not remain among God's people. Leviticus 20, 6 and 7 makes this clear. It says, if a person turns to mediums and necromancers, whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. The New Testament reaffirms this. In Revelation 21, verse 8, it puts sorcerers among the faithless and detestable who will be condemned in hell. So that means in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're told that those who do these things will be cut off and condemned. So fifth, 
God forbids his people from these things, all these things. You shall be blameless in this, verse 13, have nothing to do with them. We're quick, I think, to dismiss ancient cultures as backward and barbaric. But the reality is, is that every one of the things on Moses' list are still widespread today. And God sees them in exactly the same way. Now, perhaps you've used a Ouija board or played some other occult game. If you've been involved in any of these things, fortune-telling, psychics, palm readings, tarot cards, witchcraft, astrology, horoscopes, whatever it is, repent. Repent. Turn away from these things to God. Seek His forgiveness in Christ who died to pay for all of our sins. There is forgiveness and there is freedom in Jesus Christ. Then avoid these things in the future. Jesus Christ delivers us from sin. He, for, he forgives us, he frees us, and then we live faithfully for him. When God converted people in the book of Acts chapter 19, we read this. The new believers came confessing and divulging their practices and those who practiced the magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. I say amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. When Christ grabs hold of you, occult practices go. He forgives, he frees, and we live faithfully for him. Now these things are forbidden for God's people, but there's a contrast now as we move from verse 14 into verse 15. The nations, look, the nations listen to fortune tellers and diviners, verse 14, but they must listen to God. Listen to God's word mediated through the prophets, ultimately revealed in Christ and recorded in the scriptures. And that leads us to point three. Listen to God's word revealed to you, ultimately in Christ and the Bible. We'll see this in verses 15 through 18. Look, at verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So don't listen to diviners. Listen to God's word delivered through the prophets. That's the point. God is assuring them here that he's not going to leave them without his word. The nations are looking to diviners for knowledge and power. God is saying to them, you find it in me. As Isaiah said, when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, Isaiah 8, 19 and 20. So God's people are never going to lack a revelation from God. The question is, will you listen to him? Now, in verses 16 and 17, the people, uh, again, were told, asked for a mediator between them and God. God agrees. He provides Moses. We already saw this in Deuteronomy 5.27. Moses would go near, and he would hear everything that God had to say, and then he would go to the people and tell them everything that God had to say, and they would hear it and do it. The question is, what happens when they go into the promised land and Moses is no longer with them? Well, God answers that question in verses 18 and 19. He says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I'll put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. 
And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So here we, le- we learn the job description of God's prophets. God puts his words in their mouth. So their job is to speak God's word, not their own. And not just part of what God says, all that God commands. The whole counsel of God. Even if the message will not be received well. Their job is not to tickle ears, but to trumpet God's word. They speak in his name, that is his authority. They speak to please God, not man. Because they speak God's word, for the people to disbelieve or disobey a prophet was to disbelieve or disobey God himself. That's why God says, whoever won't listen to them, I myself will require it of him. This is a warning of judgment if you don't listen to the prophet, to the word of God. Now, in the New Testament, we find that God's promise through Moses is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. So when Peter preaches his second sermon in Acts, he says that Jesus is the Christ, that is the Messiah, that was foretold by the prophets. And the first place he points is Deuteronomy 18, declaring, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Acts 3, to 24. God's promise to Moses was fulfilled in Jesus. Now, there are many prophets in the Old Testament, but none of them knew the Lord face to face like Moses did, Deuteronomy 34.10. But Jesus is far greater than Moses because he is the word made flesh, John 1. So Hebrews begins this way, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. At the transfiguration, Jesus is there. Moses and Elijah, the great prophets, show up. The cloud comes, a voice from heaven. God speaks. He says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. When the voice stops, Jesus is standing there alone. God is alluding to his word. Deuteronomy 18.15, to him you shall listen. Listen to Jesus. You guys all know that game Simon Says, right? You guys know the game Simon Says? Let's try it for a second. You guys ready? All right. Simon Says, touch your nose. Come on now. Simon Says, touch your nose. Don't pick your nose. Touch your nose. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Jonathan. All right. Simon Says, raise your right hand. Simon Says, lower your hand. Simon Says, close your eyes. Open your eyes. Uh, how many of you did I get? Did I get you? All right, Simon says, open your eyes. <laughs> That's a fun game, right? It's, it's such a fun game. But the point is, you only listen to and obey one voice. You only do what Simon says. Jesus is like Simon. He's the one that we are to listen to. We only do what he says. Only Jesus never tells us anything wrong. Jesus isn't trying to trick us. He only tells us what is for our good. Amen? And Jesus doesn't just tell us what to do. He gives us a heart that wants 
to obey him. He gives us the strength and the courage to obey him. Amen? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. So how do we hear Jesus' voice and follow him? We do it through the written word of God in the Bible. The canon is closed. There's no new revelation. There are no more prophets receiving new revelation from God that's going to be recorded. That is done. The revelation of God is recorded in the Bible. God's will is recorded in the scriptures. This is how we learn to follow God and not the nations around us. And we talk all the time as pastors about reading God's word. How can I motivate you to read your Bible? It's a question I was wrestling with. I want to elevate in your mind and in your heart the, the value, the precious gift of the scriptures this morning. Do you want a special word from God? Do you want God to speak to you? Go read your Bible. Do you want God's guidance for your life? Guidance that you can count on? Do you want strength in your life? Go read your Bible. God's word is powerful. It always accomplishes the purpose for which God sends it, Isaiah 55, 11. His word saves. You were born again through the living and abiding word of God, 1 Peter 1, 23. His word sanctifies. Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, John 17, 17. The word of his grace is able to build you up, Acts 20, 32. His word sustains you, and not just you. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power, Hebrews 1, 3. And as Moses said and Jesus repeated, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, abundantly. Don't be impoverished of the word. Fill up the storehouses of your mind and your heart with it. And by faith, trust and obey God's revealed will. Jesus speaks to us through the Bible. Listen to him. For it revives the soul and makes wise the simple and rejoices the heart, and enlightens the eyes, and warns the saints, and in keeping it there is great reward. So read it, and memorize it, and meditate on it, and live it, and pray it over yourself and over others. Christ has given us his word to feast on. The sad part is, is there's a famine of hearing his word. It's like starving to death in a grocery store with shelves stocked full of food. Oh, people are looking for knowledge and strength and wisdom and guidance and direction for the future. God provides all these things through Christ and his word. Jesus is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.24 I think John... Piper sums this up well. He says this, quote, over against all the allurements of the occult stands Jesus Christ, the embodiment of all God's revelation. Faith takes its stand on the sufficiency of this revelation and seeks no other secret knowledge. Faith 
lays itself open to the power of God through Jesus Christ alone and seeks no other psychic or spiritual power. There is power and strength from God through His Word. There is comfort and peace and hope and assurance and courage and strength to persevere. Oh, believer, Christ speaks to you, to you in His Word. To Him you shall listen. Finally, beware of false prophets. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. We're supposed to listen to Jesus, and one of the things that Jesus tells us is this. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits, Matthew 7, 15 and 16. That's also the point of verses 20 through 22. Look at verse 20. God is still speaking here, and God says this, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? In other words, how are we going to know if what the prophet speaks is from God? Verse 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come true, come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Why? Because it's not from God, and it has no authority, and it's not going to happen, and you don't have to obey it. It is a very serious sin to claim to speak for God when not sent by Him. Why? Because it's presumptuous. It's like the sin of Eve, wanting to be like God. It is arrogant and rebellious and deceptive, and it will lead God's people astray if they listen. It's like giving somebody directions that sends them over the cliff. And God wants to protect his name and his word and his people, and so false prophecy was a capital offense. It carried the death penalty. It's serious. I think this increases the gravity, the seriousness of any statement to the effect God told me to tell you. Be very careful, believer. Do not presume to speak for God. Better to say, I feel led to share this with you. Better still to not say anything like that at all and to just anchor your counsel in the Word of God. We should also be aware of any statement to the effect, God told me. Oh, what do you mean by that? What do you mean? Do you mean He spoke to you from His Word? Or that the Spirit applied the truth from the Word to your life? Fine. Just remember that your subjective impressions... And what you think is a leading of the Spirit is still subject to God's revealed Word. Sometimes people use the God told me or the Spirit told me line to justify some very sinful beliefs or behavior. And the danger is that they will not allow outside correction from Scripture. Their supposed leading by the Spirit is unquestionable. It's something akin to divine revelation. When that happens, 
you are no longer following the Lord, but following yourself. So how are we going to know, how are we going to recognize a false prophet or a false teaching? There are several criteria here to test and evaluate them. First, they speak in God's name when God has not told them to speak, verse 20. Therefore, it's not God's word that they speak, but their own. So the first test is to compare what someone speaks with what God has already revealed. A true prophet will not speak contrary to the revealed word. Now, in their case, that was the Torah. In our case, it's the Bible. Scriptures are standard. The Bible tells us, test everything and hold fast to what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21. But the idea of good implies a standard by which you're going to know if something is good or bad. Anything that doesn't align with God's word is not good. It's bad, and it should be rejected. There are so many voices vying for your attention, and every single one of them has to be evaluated by the truth of Scripture. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. 1 John 4.1 False prophets remain a huge problem today. Preachers and teachers who claim to speak for God but do not. This means we've got to be so familiar with God's word, with the scriptures, that you have a sort, of, a sort of radar to detect false doctrine that enters your ear space. Yes, I said ear space. When you get a whiff of a false teaching, you say, that doesn't pass the smell test. Even if you're not exactly sure why, you know something's not quite right. Why? Because you're so filled with the scriptures, you know it's not right. We should be like the Bereans who search the scriptures daily to see if what they were hearing was true. Does it match God's revealed word? Second, they speak in the name of other gods. True prophets never undermine loyalty to God. But I can tell you, a false teacher is not going to advertise this. They're not going to stand up there and be like, all right, now this is what Molech said. Or this is what Marx said. They're not going to do that. You've got to be discerning. So what other sources are being preached today? There's secular humanism, which in the church often shows up as a man-centered theology. There's the false gods of Marxism and critical theory that is downstream from it. There's the false god of feminism, which downplays male leadership in the home and at church and downplays the complementarity or the complementary roles of men and women. There's the false god of materialism which dominates the health and wealth and prosperity preachers. They're the false gods of gender theory and sexuality. Andy Stanley just preached that gay Christians have more faith than straight Christians because it's harder for them to go to church. There's no such thing as a gay Christian. Your sexuality is not your identity, let alone a sinful one. Do we say, I'm a lust Christian? I'm an adultery Christian. I myself, I'm a murder Christian. I'm a lying Christian. No. We don't identify ourselves by sin. We don't identify ourselves by something that God says is an abomination. Beloved, there are many people 
who speak in the name of other gods. So test everything. Third, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. Now, this seems obvious, right? Amen, somebody? Seems so obvious. What baffles me is how a person can make a prediction that doesn't happen, it's clearly false, and yet people keep listening to the false prophet. I mean, this criteria seems so basic, but it is so often ignored. Someone in the QAnon group predicted that Biden would be ousted and Trump would be installed as president on March 4th, 2021. Of course, that was a prediction to make up for a previous failed prediction. That didn't happen. That should be an obvious proof not to listen to these folks. Amen? Joseph Smith, founder of Mormonism, served up several false predictions. Charles Russell, the founder of Jehovah's Witness, same thing, several false predictions. And yet, these groups continue. The criteria is obvious, but it's so often ignored. They make excuses. Don't buy it. Now, you need to see here that this criteria is stated negatively. In other words, if what they say doesn't come true, you know they're false. But you cannot reverse this. In other words, if what they say comes true... You can't assume for that reason alone that they're a true prophet. And we saw this in Deuteronomy 13.1. A false prophet can at times give a sign or a wonder or a prediction that comes to pass and yet still lead God's people astray and still be false. So a prediction that fails proves a prophet is false, but a prediction that succeeds does not by itself prove that it's true. Also, if they're predicting God's judgment is coming... You don't want to wait around for that to be fulfilled before you believe it. you got to have some other kind of criteria to evaluate whether or not what they're saying is true. Or if the prediction is so far out in the future, you need other ways to assess a prophet. That's the point of the first two tests. But there's another standard here that would help them recognize a true prophet from a false prophet beyond these. Fourth, the prophets that God would raise up would be like Moses. This is another way to assess the prophet's character and content. In the normal practice, right, of their ministry. One commentator gives three insightful examples. First, those who pandered to people's sin were not like Moses. Those that do not confront sin but accommodate it are not like him. Those who tickle ears are not to be trusted. Second, those who posed no challenge to oppressive government are not like Moses. All of God's prophets spoke the truth of God's word to those who rule, both in Israel and outside of Israel. Third, those who lived immorally or were self-seeking in their ambitions were not like Moses. And Jeremiah and Ezekiel both apply this test of character 
to those who shepherd God's people. There are so many competing voices out there. We've got the voice of peers, our peers, celebrities, professors, philosophers, politicians, the news media, athletes, and of course the quote-unquote experts. How often do you read an article or hear a newscast that cites the experts? Experts say, and that's fine as far as it goes. We need people with expertise because we can't know everything, amen? And we take many things on authority, and that's fine. We, ha- we have to, that's fine. But we still have an obligation to check it against Scripture, to think critically about what we're hearing, including and maybe especially from the sources that we trust. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good and listen to the right voice. There are many false prophets, both the kind that have prophetic ministries with signs and predictions, but also the more run-of-the-mill kind that are just false pastors, wolves in sheep's clothing, preaching the counsels of the world or their own imagination and twisting the truth of God's word. Some of them are blatant. Others are more subtle. Our job is to evaluate them on these criteria and reject what is false. Praise God, we have far greater resources available to us because we have the whole counsel of God's word in the Bible. We have the example of Christ, not just Moses, and we have the spirit who illuminates the truth of God's word to us. We need biblical knowledge and discernment. We need faithful pastors and godly brothers and sisters to help us. So, resolve to know Christ and his word. Christ speaks to us through his word by the spirit. To him you shall listen. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you and praise you for giving us the gift of your word. And I pray very simply that you would help us to listen to Jesus Christ. Help us to listen and obey what you say in the word, knowing that it's for our good, knowing that it's for your glory. Lord, would you give us wisdom and discernment that we do not believe false teaching. God, would you guard us and protect us through the truth of your word by the power of your spirit. We ask this and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.